right, well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here today. I, I'm glad to have the opportunity to share with you this morning from God's Word. And, and as you just saw from the bumper there, we are back in the book of Revelation this morning. Revelation chapter 10 is where we're going to be. So if you have your copy of the Word, go ahead and turn there with me. Um, but I think it would be really beneficial to kind of remind us of where we have been so far in this book in order that we can understand the importance of chapter 10. So let's talk for just a second about the first nine chapters of Revelation. So it started back in chapter 1, and I'm, I'm not going to dig in super deep here. This is going to be kind of the 30,000-foot flyover here. But in chapter 1, John has this incredible vision of uh, Jesus gloriously revealing himself to John and he then dictates these letters to seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, and John writes those down. Then Jesus invites John uh, to come and see what's happening in heaven, to see God being worshipped in chapters 4 and chapter 5. And also in chapter 5, Jesus takes a scroll out of the hand of the Father. And then in chapters 6 through 8, Jesus opens the seals on that scroll. There were seven seals on that scroll, and Jesus opens all of them between chapter 6 and and eight. And then in chapters eight and nine, God gives seven trumpets to be blown. And then here we are in chapter 10, as six of those seven trumpets have been blown. And just as there was a break between the sixth and seventh seal, we now see a break here between the sixth and seventh trumpet as well. Uh, and I think that we're going to find a really encouraging word this morning. I know that uh, a lot of times as we've been going through Revelation, there's passages where it's like, holy cow, man, this is heavy, it's deep, and, and it's not fun to listen to at times. But today, I think we're going to be really encouraged. I, I know I was encouraged as I studied to prepare for this. Um, but we're going to see that we can trust God to do things in His time and in His way. We can trust God to do things in His time and in His way, and we can live in confidence that His plans will be completed. So, we should trust in him. We continue to share the message of the gospel with people around us. We continue to live for his glory. Also in this um, chapter 10 here, we're going to continue to see this um, parallel that we've seen throughout the book of Revelation to the Old Testament. There's two specific uh, parallels that we'll see to the Old Testament today that I think are really important for us to remember. Just as God responded to the prayers of the children of Israel and he raised up Moses and delivered them through the plagues, we saw in chapter 8 and 9, and we'll see it also as we continue on in chapter 11 in the weeks ahead, that God responds to the prayers of his saints, and through judgments, he delivers those saints as well, as we'll see here. So God's people are being delivered through judgment. We're going to see parallels like these in chapter 10. So that kind of sets the stage for what we're going to read this morning. So let's see exactly what Revelation 10 says. Follow along with me. Uh, we're going to read it's the, the entire chapter. It's only 11 verses, so... Listen to what it says here. Then I saw another mighty angel. This is John talking. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs were like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he called out, seven thunders sounded. When the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, 
who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we've read your word this morning. We're going to continue to read your word. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see it today. Not just hear it, but that we would see it. That your word would have power and authority in our lives. and That it would change the way we live. Speak to us today, God. Help us to leave here changed. We love you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in this chapter, uh, we're going to see the incredible importance of God's word to us as followers of Christ. That as followers of Christ, God's word is the thing that guides us. It is where we find strength. It is where we find assurance. And so it's important for us. And you might be saying, well, yeah, Jason, we understand that. That's why we read scripture every week. Yes, but... I want to make sure that we really understand what's happening when we read God's Word. What is happening for us? Why we say things like, uh, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. And why we use this as our guide each week. It's important for us to see that. In fact, the first thing that we see in this passage is that the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is powerful. And I think one of the reasons that we see uh, patterns from the Old Testament repeated is that there was an important thing that God taught his people Israel in the Old Testament that he's now reteaching his people in the church here in this passage. The reason that we see the Exodus pattern specifically repeated in Revelation 8 through 10 is so that the people of God have their identities shaped by the fact that God has redeemed them. We, we just spent three weeks, the last three Sundays, we have spent talking about what our identity is in Christ here at Lafayette First. And part of the power of God's word is that we're reminded who we are and who God is as we read it. That's an important reminder because most of the problems that we have uh, in our life is because we have too low a view of God and too high a view of ourselves. We don't look at God the way we should and we look at ourselves wrongly. And so we have to remember who we are and the way that we remember who we are in our identity is by reading God's word. It has power to show us who we are. Remember, Revelation is a letter that's addressed to seven churches that needed to be reminded of their identity. They were going to go through struggle. They were going to go through difficulty. And they needed to have that reminder, that anchor that says, this is who we are in Christ. I need the power of my identity in Christ to make it through these things. So we, just like the original audience of this letter are a people who have been redeemed by God. If we are followers of Christ, we've been redeemed by God. I mean, do you ever think of yourself as someone who has been bought? Because if you are a follower of Christ, you are someone who has been bought at a very, very high price. That is why Jesus went 
to the cross was so that he could redeem us back from sin and death and pay the debt that we owed. So our identity is incredibly important. And the defining truth about us as believers is that we are someone who God has gone to extravagant lengths to redeem from sin and death. And we're reminded of that in his word. There's power in that. Let's for just a second consider this angel that appears before John. So this angel, let's look at how he's described. It says uh, in the text, look at, look at verses 1 through uh, 2 really quick. He says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven that he was wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like pillars of fire. And he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Does this sound familiar to anyone? This will be the audience participation portion. Does this sound familiar to anyone, the description here of this angel? Okay, well, it should. It should sound familiar since nobody responded. I'll uh, let you know. We see this in Exodus. You remember that God leads his people as a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. We have this imagery here of God leading his people through the wilderness, and this angel is coming down to earth with power as God's representative. It also says that there's a rainbow over his head. Where do we see a rainbow in Scripture? Anyone. And with Noah, in Noah's story, that's exactly right. It's God's sign that he's not going to flood the earth again, that he has made a covenant with man. And so it should call that to our minds. And the point is this. What God did for Noah and what God did for the children of Israel by saving them through the judging of their enemies, then bringing them into a new land, he's going to do again when he saves the church and brings us into the new heavens and the new earth. He will do that again. And this angel reflects the glory of Jesus to us, that he shines like the sun. It says um, over and over again, there's several times where the, it says the scroll that's in his hand is referred to as little, that it's a little scroll. And, and I think that the reason it's referred to as a little scroll is because he's so big. This angel is towering. It says he has one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. And that does not mean that he's just standing right on the beach where his one foot's in the water and one foot's on the sand. No, he's standing with a foot on the sea and a foot on the land. This angel is big, right? He's big. And he has the land and the sea under his feet. And that throughout Scripture, this image of having something under your foot signifies authority. This angel has authority here to come and bring God's word to John. When he speaks, it sounds like a roaring lion. This angel is a representative of the Lord. He's a representative, and he embodies aspects of the character of Jesus for us. And in this little scroll that he has in his hand is the word of God, and it comes with authority, and it comes with power to John. Now, when the angel speaks, thunder rolls in response, that there's thunder that rolls across the land, and they reveal something to John. John hears the thunders. They reveal something to him because he's about to write them down, but then a voice stops him and says, no, you're not allowed to write that down. And, and you have to wonder why. Why would God reveal something to John, but then he's not allowed to write it down? Because John clearly understood. He knew that there was a revelation because he's ready to write it down. But then he's, he's told to stop. Well, I think that um, we, we find something, while it's not completely important for us to know what those thunders said, it's easy for us to understand how we should respond to those thunders. And the closest parallel we have to that 
It's found in uh, Psalm 29. And I'm going to read this to us. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screens. But listen, listen to what it says here in Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire, and the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness, and the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. It strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So what, what happens in response to the thundering of God's voice going out over the land? Think about it. The people worship they hear his voice, and they worship. And so for us, when we hear the power of God's word, when God's voice through his word thunders for us, we should worship. We should respond and worship. We see God's power and authority displayed as thunder rolls, and it should lead us to worship. The fullness of what is to come at the end is still concealed from us. John got to see a picture of it, but it is concealed from us. And in, in all honesty, that's okay. We, it's, it's okay. I want to let you know right now that even for us in this room, not knowing exactly what's going to happen at the end is okay. Because we do know who's in charge of what's happening at the end, right? And he has promised us that he loves us. He has promised us that he will be with us, even in the midst of difficulty. And so even though we may not know, even though you look at this and go, well, I need to know what the thunder said, right? Well, no, you don't. <laughs> and that's okay. Because God's word is powerful and true. And even though not everything is disclosed to us, and even though surprises will await us as history draws to a close, this truth still remains that we can trust in the plans of our sovereign God, and we can marvel at the power of his word. God's word is powerful, and we can trust in it. But not only is God's word powerful, but the second thing that we see here is that the word of God is sure. The word of God is sure, and we can trust in it. How do we know that? Well, look again at what it says in verses 5 through 7. Let me read this to us. The angel that I saw standing on the sea and on the land, he raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be revealed just as he announced to his servants, the prophet. There's four things that this angel is doing here that we need to notice that speak about the surety of God's word for us. First off, see what the angel is doing. Look at what the angel is doing. That he has one foot on the sea, he has one foot on the dry land, and his hand is stretched toward the heavens. And he's the, these three separate spheres of creation, the land, the sea, and the sky, 
They, they are mentioned again in verse 6 to encompass everything that God has made. And so by standing where he is standing, this angel, and by doing what he's doing, he is showing the universal importance of this message that he's giving to John. That there is no place where the word of God does not apply. That his word, God's word, has power in all areas of creation. That there is no part of creation that does not fall underneath the authority and the surety of God's word. But also, look at how God is described in these verses. In verse 6, it says that the angel swears by him who lives forever and ever and who created all things. Right? So, God is eternal. He has always been. He will always be. And he made everything that we see in all parts of creation. From the smallest thing to the largest thing, God created it all in the sea, on the land, and in the heavens. And therefore, when this angel swears by God Almighty, we can know that what he's about to say is true. That there is surety that it's going to come. We can be assured that whatever he's about to say will happen. That God has this eternal perspective where he's able to make a perfect plan that will be executed. And not only can he make that perfect plan, he's also powerful enough to execute that plan, to make, that, make sure that plan comes to fruition, that it will all be carried through the plan that we find in his word. Next, we see what will be completed. So we see that the angel is showing that God is sure. We're seeing that God is eternal. Look at this thing that will be completed. It is God's plan for all of creation, which has been announced from everyone uh, from the Old Testament forward. He says this, um, in verse 7, that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he had announced to his servants, the prophets. So we could go all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament, that from Moses, Moses wrote down those first five books of the Bible, from Moses all the way to Malachi in the Old Testament, and from Matthew all the way to John here in Revelation in the New Testament, all of it has been declaring God's plan and what he's going to do in creation. And so the history of the world as recorded and prophesied in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is what will be completed. That plan will be completed. And then finally, see when it's going to be completed, that there will be no more delay, that once the seventh trumpet is blown, all things will be brought to completion. And so the reason that it's important that we look at all these things is that this is our hope. We find hope in this, that Almighty God who created this world will bring to pass in it everything that he has planned. Everything that God has planned will come to fruition here in creation. And God has revealed some of what he is going to do through his word. And we see that over and over again, that there are prophecies that God made that came to pass, right? We read in the Old Testament things that are fulfilled in Jesus, and then Jesus tells us things that will happen that we have seen happen. And so we can trust that when God says this is what's going to happen, it's going to happen. It may not happen when we expect it to, but it will happen. That he will judge, and that through that judgment, he will save his people. We can trust in God's word as being true and sure, because he has never failed to do what he said he's going to do, right? Can we testify to that in here? Is there anyone who would raise their hand and say, God does what he says he's going to do? Yeah, absolutely. I know that to be true in my life, and I've experienced it over and over again, and we can trust in God's word today. The, the final thing that we see in this passage is that the word of God is our guide, and it must be followed. 
The word of God is our guide, and it must be followed. So one of the things that is interesting about chapter 10 is that it's another one of these sort of asides that we have in the book of Revelation where there's all this action going on, and it's just intense, intense, intense. It's all the way up to the end of chapter 9 with these trumpets being blown. There's judgment happening. There's death. There's, it's, just, it's, it's intense, and then God says, okay, let's hit the pause button right here. And he did that for us as, we, as the seals were being opened, and he's doing it for us here. Thank God for his mercy as we read through this, right, where we can go, hold on, let me catch my breath for a second. This is intense. And so thank goodness we have that here. And so John is sort of bolstered up in this moment where God's reminding the people who will read this letter, because remember, this letter didn't stop with John. This letter stopped or this letter went out to the churches, and then it got spread and got spread, and that's why we have it today. And so God is saying, hey, just a reminder that in the midst of all this judgment and difficulty and struggle, just a reminder, John is my prophet who is sending you my word. I want to make sure you remember that as you catch your breath, is what God's saying here. And so these verses show us that John is a true prophet of God and that he follows in obedience to God, and that serves as an example for us. This is established, I want to, this is our second Old Testament parallel that I want us to see today, that John has a very similar experience to the call of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 2. So uh, again, it'll be up on the screen, but let me read these verses to you. This is Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8, and then it rolls over into the beginning of chapter 3. But listen to Ezekiel's call and see if it sounds familiar. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house, but open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Sounds really familiar, right? I mean, it's almost identical. It's an identical call. And Ezekiel was a very powerful prophet of God to the people of Israel. And John is being put forth here as a strong prophet to the church, to God's people at this point. It, it sounds incredibly familiar. And in that call, God is establishing that John is the man that he is called to deliver this message to his people. In, in fact, if we were to take a moment and just look through I would encourage you to read the book of Ezekiel. I feel like the book of Ezekiel gets a bad rap because there's some, there's some weird stuff in there. I'll be totally honest with you. There's some odd things that happen in the book of Ezekiel, but I would encourage you to read it because there's such incredible truth that applies to us today that we can, that we can see there. But just to kind of give a flyover, in Ezekiel 1 through 3, Ezekiel has this incredible vision of God in indescribable glory, and then he is commissioned to go out and to prophesy to the people of Israel. In Revelation 1 through 5, John receives this incredible vision of God's indescribable glory. And then here in chapter 10, he's commissioned to go and to prophesy to God's people. Ezekiel chapters 4 through 32 
Ezekiel prophesies judgment on God's people. And then in 33 through 48, he prophesies a future salvation that will come to God's people. In Revelation, chapters 11 through 18, John will prophesy about judgment that is coming. And in 19 through 22, he will prophesy of future salvation in Christ. They line up very well. God grounds the call of John here in Revelation in the experience of Ezekiel from the Old Testament to remind us that God's word guides both of these men to do what God has called them to do. And it's the same for us, that God's word guides us to do what God has called us to do. There's also this picture of eating the scroll that's presented to him, that both John and Ezekiel are to eat the scroll that's given to them. And what we see here is that John is taking the message in, Ezekiel took the message in that God gave, they ingested it, they digested it, they let it work around in their heads for a little bit, and then they deliver it to God's people as they were commanded. Whereas Ezekiel was commissioned to speak a message to the church, John is commissioned to speak a message to, I'm sorry, Ezekiel was commissioned to speak to Israel, John is commissioned to speak to the church. The point is this, in both men, both in John's call and in Ezekiel's call, we have this incredible example of allowing the word of God to be a guide that must be followed in obedience. The task set before both of these men was not easy. They had to go and say, hey, people of God, you're not doing what God's called you to do. That's a tough message to deliver. Can we agree on that? To be called out or to be the one who's calling people out and saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. That's not fun. But they followed in obedience. And the text says that the word of God was sweet on their lips, but then bitter in their stomach. Can, can anyone in here testify to the fact that the word of God can be both sweet and convicting at the same time? I, I know I can. I, I've read through passages where I read it and I say, thank you, Lord, you are such a good God. What an awesome thing that I have just learned about who you are here. But then I've also read other passages where I read it and I get to the end and say, ouch, I, I have to change the way I'm acting. I have to modify my behavior, and I have to remember my identity in Christ, and that's not fun. Nobody likes to be pointed out that they're doing wrong, right? And especially for us as followers of Christ, because we like to think we're holier than that, right? It's a joke, people. Lighten up. So, but we do like to, we like to think, yeah, I'm, I'm lining up with what God wants me to do. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And yet there are times when we, when we look in the mirror, as we've talked about that Scripture is, the reflection is not what we should be seeing. We have to recalibrate. Both things are true, however. That God's word is sweet and God's word can cut. Reading through a hard passage does not change the fact that the word of God is our guide and must be followed in life. That's one of the reasons that it has, for me, been so, um, so interesting and so fun at the same time, if I will, to read through verse by verse the book of Revelation. Because you know, Revelation is that book that at the end of the Bible that people are like, yeah, it's weird over there. I don't spend a whole lot of time at that end of the Bible just because it's, it's weird and it's hard. And yet, it is still our guide. It's still in the Word of God. It's not the appendix. It's the last book, right? And so we trust in God's Word. And even though a word might be hard, it still must be our guide. So, God gave this revelation at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Jesus takes a scroll from the Father's hands. He opens it. 
This angel takes a scroll to John. John ingests it, and then he prophesies. And now, after many years, the message comes to us. So what do we do with it? Well, let, let me offer two ways that we might apply this to our life. First, we should be confident that God is the Lord over all things, and he will accomplish all of his purposes. We can trust in that. In the book of Hebrews says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he fulfilled his word back then, he's going to fulfill his word today. And we can live in confidence and trust in that. No matter what occurs here on this earth, God's purposes will come to pass. And as we've said all along through the book of Revelation, while there is a great deal of what is to come that God has revealed to us through his word, there's some aspects of what is to come in the future that we just don't know yet. And that's okay. But we can trust in, the, in God's word as powerful and sure and that should bolster our confidence to share the message of the gospel with those around us. The second thing is this. We can know truth because God has revealed himself to us. God didn't owe us this book. He didn't owe that to us. He chose to give us his word. He chose to reveal himself to us. And so we can trust that as he has revealed himself to us, we can trust that that's who he is. And while here on earth we're never going to have an exhaustive knowledge of who God is, we do have a pretty reliable knowledge of who he is through his word. And we're to take that knowledge and share it boldly with others. We're to take that knowledge and share it with the world. And even as messages of judgment from the word of God come, and we're called in obedience to share that with the world around us, we can still trust that God is good. But we must proclaim God's word to the world, even when it's hard. And it's hard today, just like it's been hard for the last 2,000 years. It's hard to share God's word. It's hard, like we said a while ago, to be that person who calls others out and says, hey, you should probably change the way you're living. That's hard. But it does not change the call that's been placed on our lives. That as the people of God, we are to carry his word into the world. And so, of course, it's difficult, but we have examples in John. We have examples through Ezekiel and tons of other people through Scripture who were obedient to God's Word, even in the face of hard times and difficulty. So in order to share this message with others, we have to internalize it. We have to know the message. We have to allow it to become a part of our lives. The gospel was never meant to stop with us. It was never meant to make it to Lafayette first here and stop here. God's word was always meant to come to us, to change us, and then flow through us into the world. That is what we are called to do. And so today, I want to challenge you to have God's word in your heart. I didn't say I want to challenge you to read the Bible. That's not what I said. You do have to read the Bible. Let's get that straight. But what I said was I want to challenge you to have God's word in your heart. That means that, yes, we read God's word, but we don't stop there. We internalize God's word. We think on God's word. We meditate on God's word. And we let that word flow through us out into the world. It changes us, and then we let it change others. And it's not our job to save people. 
That's not what we're called to. The Great Commission does not say, go into all the world and save those that you come into contact with. What does it say? It says, go into all the world and share everything that I've taught you. Make disciples. So, our job is to share. And in order to share, we have to know the message, right? We have to know the message that we're called to share. So I want to challenge you today. Let God's word be in you and let it flow through you. Because God's word is powerful. God's word is sure. We can trust in it. And ultimately, God's word is our guide. It's not an option. It doesn't say, hey, if you feel like it, go and share God's word. No, we are commanded in scripture by our Savior to go and share the word of God with those we come into contact with. So I want to challenge you today. Maybe you need to come down here, and I know that there's nothing magical that happens at these steps, but there is something very real that happens in the act of saying, I'm committing today, and I'm moving from the spot I'm standing in to up here to say, God, I'm committing to be in your word. Or maybe it's, God, I'm committing to follow you for the first time. God, I'm hearing this message, and it's changing me right now. I'm hearing that there is a way for me to be in a deeper relationship with you and that your word is where I find that message. And I take that word and share it with others. But I have to have that word before I can share it with others. Maybe today is the day that God calls you into a relationship with him. And I want you to know that we're here to help you walk through that. I can help you walk through that. Derek can help you walk through that. Roger can help you walk through that. We would love to help you connect with your Savior. So let's stand together. And as you stand, we're going to sing here in just a minute. And we're going to ask God's word to speak to us, to move in us and through us, to help us to understand what it means to share the message of the gospel with others. We're going to sing that. And as we do, you let God work in your heart. Let God move in your life. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can take it into our hearts, that we can let it change us, and that we can share it with others. Remind us of the power that we find in your word today, God. Remind us of the assurance that we have in your word, and let it guide us to live for your glory today. God, thank you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down my 